be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, saints. Morning, sinners. All right. Gather around. We're going to start with a Christmas story. Pull the chairs up. Get yourself comfortable. Listen to this Christmas story from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. Jesus is speaking. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field. One will be taken. The other is left. Two women will be grinding meal together. and One will be taken. The other is left. Keep awake, therefore. For you, beloved, do not know what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must stay awake. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Now, how's that for Scripture story getting ready for Christmas, huh? Doesn't that just put you in the mood? Yeah, it seems a little odd to begin this season of preparation looking at what many people call the rapture, which, by the way, isn't in the Scripture per se, the word rapture. We kind of made it up to describe it. But why are we starting our Christmas and Advent journey here? just feels odd. Episcopal priest and author Fleming Rutledge reminds us that the season of Advent forces you and me to look at God through the lenses of the past, the present, and the future. She reminds us that, quote, Advent calls for our lives to be lived on the edge all the time. Shaped by the cross, not only on Good Friday, but whoever and whenever we are proclaiming his death to the turn of the ages. Until he comes again. This first Sunday of Advent begins with us looking into the imminent future when Jesus is coming again in judgment. 
Oh, come on, preacher, you started off with a downer, and now you're really just bringing us down or worse. Yeah, Jesus is coming again in judgment. We start here. Alas, people in church today really don't like to talk about judgment, do we? Do you like it when I stand up here, Pam, and Nick stands up here and talks about God's judgment? It sounds so lugubrious. But the reality is, beloved, even though it sounds very ungood newsy, the season of Advent asks you and me to remember the coming judgment of God. And friends, to keep that in perspective, realize that the church only talks about this judgment of God on the day it lights the candle of hope. Did you catch that? We're talking about judgment the day we light this candle of hope. For some reason, we have translated judgment into condemnation, thereby, thereby losing all concept of any hope. Think about it. Who is hopeful to be condemned? Would you be? I sure wouldn't. Rutledge goes on to write, the Christian hope is founded on the promise of God that all things will be made new according to God's righteousness. All references of judgment in the Bible should be understood in the context of God's righteousness. Not just being righteous, but God's making all things right. All things that have been wrong. That's hope in judgment. Consequently, Advent is a season of the church year, my friends, when we remind ourselves that Emmanuel, God with us, whom we celebrate on Christmas Day, is the same God, the divine Logos who stands at the beginning and creates time, but also stands at the end of what we call time and embraces us in His arms. We can't escape. That's our judgment. That's our hope. We are encircled. We are embraced by the Christ. And that makes us hopeful. At 9.30, one of the little kids in uh, children's time described hope as being, uh, hope is putting feeling into action. I like that. Hope is putting feeling into action. Stephen Covey, who made famous the line that in order to live a successful and productive life, we need to begin our planning with what? The, remember? The end in mind. As we live a successful and productive life, Covey reminds us in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, we need to begin our planning with the end in mind. We need to see what we are striving for. We are to work for that goal. Well, beloved, here in Advent, we, church, are to begin remembering that our lives 
our very time is moving to history's denouement. When God will make all things new and redeem all that is full of sorrow, brokenness, and pain and replace them with faith, hope, and love. English playwright, critic, and poet W.H. Auden refers to Advent, this time of waiting, as the time being. Capital T, capital B. Advent is the time being. It's a wonderful poem. I would encourage you to look it up online called A Christmas Oratorio by Auden. But what he says is that This time being is when you and I are awaiting the return of the child Emmanuel. And he writes, the time being, in a sense, is the most trying time of all for Christians. Because we're so distracted. Our attention is pulled away so easily. We get caught up in the world and its hubbub and forget what church, what Jesus, what Christmas is really about. This time being is what Jesus is speaking of in today's Matthew text. And we tend to forget that when Jesus is speaking of the future, of future time of judgment, He uses that time of judgment as a foil to reflect back to the disciples their lives in that particular moment. In their particular time being. So Jesus talks about the days of Noah before the great flood when people were eating and drinking and getting married and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, after ignoring Noah's call to prepare for the coming flood, they fell into complacency. They were swept away. Eating and drinking and getting married are mentioned simply to remind us that in the midst of our everyday going-to-work life, at a time when we least expect it, God returns home and opens the door and says, Honey, I'm home. Jesus is asking us, Are we ready? Jesus then goes on to share how men and women will be about their everyday routines of going to work and doing the chores when suddenly one will be taken, one will be left. Those who were taken appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Whereupon, we are not judged by whether we believe the right things, believe the correct doctrine about God. No. We will be judged by the standard of how well we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, that is the metric that is going to be used at judgment. 
The rapture, as it's so popularly called and so grossly misunderstood, is not so much about morality and correct thinking. It is about ethics. In other words, how are we relating with each other, not just here in church, but out in the community? How are we loving others justly? One commentator wrote, Believers are judged not so much by how well prepared they are to enter heaven, but by how much they have been attending to the concerns of others in community. And along those lines, discipleship is not an event or a phase. Rather, it is a constant state of being. Prepared. Committed. To fellow human beings. And there's Alden once again. Time being. Friends, how are we living our lives with love and justice in our time being? As a church, but as individual followers of Jesus Christ. How well are we sharing love and justice and simply being ourselves in everyday humdrum eating, Drinking, getting married, working the farm, preparing food. How well are we paying attention and loving the neighbor? Or that person who just cut you off as you're headed south on federal to the one way through that silly bridge that they don't work on. How are you showing love and justice to that person? Our focus this month in spiritual formation is called Advent in Plain Sight. And we have study guides and those devotionals that you have written, my members of this family, that if you haven't gotten it, pick one up today. It's written by your brothers and sisters of First Pres. Advent in plain sight is designed for us to look at everyday objects that we see all the time that don't even look very Christmassy per se, and they focus and force us to look at them and be reminded what the season of preparation is all about. So, for example, at Wednesday Night Live, we're going to be looking at such items as a belt. That's pretty Christmassy. A tree. A tear. And we're going to see how these everyday items become icons. That is, signs pointing to a deeper reality of Jesus coming into the world. So as I was thinking about this morning's text... I was trying to think, what is the icon that is emerging from our scripture lesson this morning that I could lift up as an everyday reminder to prepare for Jesus' coming? And, and what came to my mind was a good old-fashioned alarm clock. An alarm clock. Simple, 
but loud, obnoxious. One that you have to get out of bed and smash against the wall. It is so annoying. An alarm clock. Years ago, someone gave me a giant Harley Davidson wall clock. And that thing must have been about a foot and a half in diameter. It was big. And um, each of the numbers was represented by a different vintage Harley Davidson model. And the magic, the beauty of this magnificent clock would be that at every hour, it would chime. Well, I wouldn't call it chiming. What it actually did was rev engines. <laughs> You'd hear a motorcycle every top of the hour. <laughs> I loved it. Everybody in the office could hear it and participate in the joy. <laughs> All day long, Harleys were roaring through the office. I loved it, but my colleagues, not so much. I knew it was time to get rid of this clock when during one very emotional pastoral counseling session while this woman was pouring her heart out about her husband's affair and their impending divorce when she said, and then my husband I said, oh no. The hour chimed at the worst possible moment. I had to get rid of it. Friends, twice in three verses, Jesus reminds the disciples, He reminds you and me to keep awake. Stay alert. Be awake. Be ready. Set your, set your alarm to get yourself out of bed because the Lord is coming at an hour none of us expect. Stay awake. Dale Bruner, retired professor at Whitworth University, cites two Protestant reformers who reminded Christians to stay awake, one of whom was John Calvin. And Calvin said, Jesus, Jesus wished the disciples to be so uncertain of His coming that from day to day they should be intently waiting for it to happen. He then goes on to cite Martin Luther who quipped that Christians should live as if D Jesus died this morning, rose this afternoon, and is coming home this evening. Stay awake! And what we ha yet we have all these people saying, I know when Jesus is coming. I can read numerology and Scripture and pinpoint the exact date and time, and we've seen how reliable those are. Jesus himself did not know. So consequently, we are to be ready, awake. Jesus is asking each of us to stay up, be alert. He is asking us to be ready for a time when he comes in judgment. He's telling us to, that he's coming again. And as such, we have hope. Not because we're going to be condemned, but because we're going to be held up to the light of grace. As he's going to say, beloved, 
how did you love the least of these? Donald Rumsfeld, the former Secretary of Defense, always had a good way with words in his own way. And he tried to say the same thing Jesus was trying to say about getting ready at an intelligence briefing during the Iraqi war. Rumsfeld said, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know, we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. I think Jesus said it better. (laughs) Jesus is simply saying, church, don't you dare hit the snooze button on that alarm. Because God is coming. This you know. You just don't know when. So wake up. Be alert. Oh, beloved, this is a text that doesn't sound very Christmassy on the front end, but we know why we read it on a Sunday. We light the candle of hope. God is coming again, and He's welcoming us home for good. Oh, yes, there will be judgment but not condemnation. There will be a review of how we spent our time being. So beloved, the question for you and for me is, are our Advent preparations, is our staying awake, getting, staying up late to get caught up in the gross commercialization of the season, or are we staying awake preparing for our Lord's return with lives, demonstrating to others acts of mercy and justice, putting feet of our feelings towards others in action. We're doing that with those we see every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of God's people say, pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, as we continue to worship and wind down this hour, we thank you that, Lord, you come in judgment, not in condemnation, and that you bid us to stay awake. Because you want to come and find us awake in the middle of the night so you can sit down and say, Beloved, let's look at how you loved and showed mercy and grace to those around you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Amen.